You are now entering the Mix You podcast. No credentials required. Well, post Christmas greetings from Mix You. We're here putting out our last podcast of 2017. Hopefully, you've made it through your holiday quote unquote fun and uh, lived to tell about it. I hope a lot of you are laying around watching movies by a fire, eating, napping, eating again, that kind of thing. I'm here as usual with uh, my pals, Lee and Jeff. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Good, man. You successfully made it through the holidays, guys? We did. By the skin of our teeth. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm uh, up in the mountains at an in-law's cabin, and my kids are in the other room watching Boss Baby. So, success. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, okay, so... Lee, I think it's Jeff and I's turn to talk about what's behind you. Now, we've talked in a couple of podcasts when oh Jeff's been in these wonderful hotels. Dude, are you like, yeah. are you in the Unabomber's cabin? Because I'm just looking at what's <laughs> what's behind you. What's going on it here? It totally looks like it. It's like homemade shelves, of upright piano, a bunch of old pictures, crooked on the wall, and a basket full of homemade instruments from the craft store. Let me tell you something. Those shelves are in... Uh, clear danger of falling down from the weight of all those books on them. And there's one called sh- <laughs> yeah. shipping uranium for dummies. I'm not sure what that is, but <laughs> how to use fertilizer for other things that aren't. Well, never mind. <laughs> You're wearing a skull cap and unshaven, so you kind of have the Unabomber thing going on. This is yeah, totally do. This is great. When we're done recording, we may have to have an intervention. I'm ready. It's good. So, guys, Christmas. How was it? One of you, like, what'd you do? Like Jeff, 8,000 shows in two days. So I was on, yeah, I was on the K love Christmas tour with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, we did 19 shows in 23 days. So we started, we had rehearsals right before Thanksgiving. And then our first show was the weekend of Thanksgiving on Saturday. And we had basically, it was like two on and then, Monday off and then six in a row, Monday off, six in a row. I mean, it was, it was pretty brutal. Six in a row, six in a row, two to two weeks. And then the third week we had two days off Monday, Tuesday, and then did five in a row. So it was, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get those Christmas concerts in as compressed as possible, man. It was, yeah, but 19 shows was a lot. Dude, and you were doing, I mean, I was watching your tour schedule. You were in a church, three churches, and then you'd go into a theater, then you go into an arena, then you go back to a church. It was crazy. And that, not just the venue, but the routing was crazy. It was like, it was as if the person who was in charge of that just took all the cities, shook them up, and then threw them against the wall. And <laughs> that's where we're going. So we went, we were, I felt like we went through Kansas three times just to get back and forth to where we were going. And we played a couple of different places in Kansas along the way, but not in a row. So it was weird, but yeah, we were as far away as, as far away as Denver to Jacksonville, to New York city and everything in between. What the heck dude, that's a pretty (laughs) grueling schedule. Yeah. There were, you you texted me one day. It was, uh, you were going to be in Oklahoma city and you texted me like, it was like mid afternoon and you said bus broke down zipping through Tulsa now and, and we commiserated about, sorry, you know, all that, but I was actually looking at my watch going, hold it. 
Yeah. What the heck? It's midday. It's like mid-afternoon, and you're still two hours away from the gig. Yeah, so the bus had broken down in, like, outside of uh, Springfield, Missouri. And Stephen had a uh, book signing and a radio. uh, It was kind of a promo thing at a bookstore that he was doing that was supposed to be at, I think, 11 a.m., well, the bus broke down, and so he and the road manager and I got in a rental car and drove from Springfield, Missouri, to Oklahoma City. And we got there. This is this is the crazy part. We didn't get there till like three thirty in the afternoon. The original schedule for the book signing was at eleven, but there were people who had been there since nine a.m. and they stayed to wait what? for us. the The bookstore made it clear they put it out on their social media and on the radio and on their sign outside, hey, this has been postponed till three o'clock, you know, come back at three. People didn't leave. They just stayed at nine because stayed from nine until 3.30 because they wanted to see and hear from Stephen Curtis Chapman. So, you know, kudos to those folks because they love them some Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he was as gracious as he could be. I mean, I, I see why people love him so much because he is the sweetest, most authentic, genuine person you'd ever want to meet. So in terms of people to work with on a tour, he's fabulous. The tour part, we had our <laughs> moments, but you know, we always do. So, <laughs> so awesome. you weren't like flying PA and doing all that every day, were you? I was not. For the first time ever in my touring life, I was as close to white gloving as you can get. And it was pretty nice, I must say. That makes it easier to do six in a row. That's very true. But shout out to the crew guys who were loading in because they had they had their work cut out for them every day. There were a few days that were way better than others, but the days that were rough were pretty rough, and we'll get to that later in the podcast. So, Lee, how was your uh, your experience? I mean, Bayside's known for doing twenty four thousand services, yeah, over twenty four thousand campuses and all that stuff. How'd you guys fare? Yeah. And we did. So, you know, our last episode, we kind of gave some encouragement about Christmas <laughs> and some uh, well wishes and glad tidings. And then and I think we gave instructions like, actually to to encourage people to put to put each other over the task at hand, like put people over the process. And yeah. you guys, yeah. you guys really wanted to do that. <laughs> I don't know if it worked out <laughs> that <did>. way. <laughs> yeah, I think in the end we still did. But. I mean, the work went from we thought it was going to be one of those Christmases where we're in cruise control, and then it just went bananas. So um, I believe it was the week, was it before Thanksgiving? Yeah, the week before Thanksgiving, our Christmas tickets went on sale. So we do like $5 tickets. <laughs> and we're uh, six campuses regionally, but one of the campuses hosts the Christmas show, quote unquote, if I could say that. And that's ticketed, and it's a five dollar ticket, and we just do five dollars so that people don't grab a hundred of them, right? And all the money goes to charity. Blah blah blah. So uh, we put the tickets on sale, and last year it took about three weeks for twenty thousand of them to go away, and then there's a bunch of general admissions that we hold back for walkups every day. Well, this year the twenty thousand went away in less than three days, so we kind of had a bit of a freak out, like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? But what that wouldn't be so bad, except that the people from the church, like the core of the church, didn't get the tickets. Like they were like, oh, we'll wait a few days and we'll get ours. 
So it was the people that had been going to church there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years were going, we can't go to Christmas at our own church this year. So we're trying to figure out, do we do more services? Do we, what do we do? And we're kind of at our limit on how many services we can do. Like some days there's four, the day before that there's three. There's a lot of that going on. So just adding services just isn't smart. You have people starting losing their voices and getting sick. So we do have another venue in town. We just adopted another church and it's 3,000 seats where the venue we just sold out is only 18, 1900. So it got brought up. Well, do we move venues for the show? And I got to tell you, the day that that conversation happened was the day the trucks with the rigging, the lighting, and the cable looms left L.A. on their way here. And it was already prepped. Prepped for, for the old venue. The yeah. So for the rigging plot. So, you know, this stick of truss is 25 feet and the cables are loomed perfectly on mm -hmm. it to hit these rigging points. Right. Well, the truck's on its way. And we decided... To move venues like well if we move venues that's another ten thousand seats if we don't even add another service so that's what we did and it was a scramble it was um engineers working overnight to make sure that the rigging worked that the weight loads worked went from things being in the air to ground supported i mean just you name it we had to redo basically the whole thing in just the last oh basically over 24 hours and then Merry the trucks Christmas. got there a couple. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you can imagine, I got to give a lot of credit to Jake Cody. He was the guy who broke the news to our team and he did the best he could. But you can imagine when you tell people or when you're trying to tell them in a way that's like, guys, this is amazing. We get to have 10,000 more people come to church that wouldn't have gotten to come. And you tell the production guys that and <laughs> they'll sometimes they just want to throw yeah. tomatoes at you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. But the craziest part, like moving it isn't so bad. The craziest part is the, the services on the day of the 24th. I don't know if you guys even know this. The 24th, we moved back to the original campus yeah. overnight. Uh. So the services on the 23rd ended at about 10 p.m. And then we had crews work through the night to move over a lot of the rig, not all of it. So we left... 200 panels of LED at the main campus, like things that are just not smart to move. We didn't move, but all the audio consoles, band risers, orchestra, 20 piece orchestra risers, every video component, because we only have one HD video rig. So our guys ripped out our video rig from the Granite Bay campus, put it all in racks, um, got the right lenses they needed, bought two cable packages. So the cable packages could just live at the campuses and moved it back and forth. But by doing that, those guys saved us $50,000 in video rental. So it's like, you know, you kind of, sometimes you just got to go, it's just not yeah. worth 50,000 bucks to rent a fly pack for three weeks. You know, when we can just take this over there and then take it back. So well, I remember when we got, cause we, you know, we have our mix you text thread. And I remember getting the text from you, Lee, when it said, um, I think we're going to need to find a way to sell 30,000 tickets. And we don't have a way to do that. <laughs> I'm freaking yeah. out right now. <laughs> and that was like the day of. And then so to, to go from that moment to here's what we did. I mean, it's it's astounding. And so, again, kudos to Jake and Tyler and all the guys, you know, on your team for pulling it off. Yep, for sure. Knowing the behind the scenes, yeah. what was going on, I was enjoying watching the feeds from some of those guys. 
and watching it was it was yeah. wins all the way around. Your and your crowds look great. The mixes sounded good. The rooms looked full. I mean, yeah, it so. was it it was crazy. I don't I don't know what the final numbers were or how many hands went up and all that. But you know, we told our guys this was the one thing that we did when we said, "Hey, we're going to move." And then every opportunity you get, we wanted all the production guys to go out in the room for the "I raise your hand" moment and watch all the hands being raised yeah. because it, without that, like it's all in vain, you know, it's like, then we're just working for working. And, you know, when you, when you open your eyes and take a peek and see the impact that you're actually having, that's the only way that you can equate worth to the work you do and the sacrifices your family's put in, you know? So we do, we did encourage our guys to do that. We did. uh, I think we mentioned on the last one, we were on the last podcast, we were doing a different, um, Christmas thing every weekend. So extra services every weekend and all that. And then there was one big weekend that was like an obvious push. And that was because there's an end of year offering, you know, a compassion offering that's taken up. So they put a lot more um, effort into that one weekend, but all of the weekends had a different um, Christmas feel. So that means every we didn't ever really get to do one show or one. We called it a showvis because it was a service and a show. You know, usually you can get one figured out, and then it's then you got to figure out okay, how do we repeat this? You know, rinse and repeat every night. That was a great idea, and I I was one of the three people who dreamed up this wonderful plan. It kind of sucked because um, you didn't. I mean, you were you that really put you under the eight ball. I mean, you got done with a Sunday and. Monday or Tuesday, you were figuring out an entirely different Christmas uh, vibe or plan or really from the audio standpoint, I forgot how much time we all usually put into the audio mix and getting it sorted out and all that stuff. And I felt it a lot. I mean, one weekend there was, um, I had a good solid 12 or 13 hours of just behind the desk in rehearsal mode, no band on stage, trying to figure out mixes because the rehearsal was so fast, you just didn't have a way to get everything figured out. And how was I going to use all these cool plugins, you know, if I didn't have time to figure it out, right guys, <laughs> but right. it was, so that was rough. And I think I felt that more on my end on the audio side than I have in probably a decade. Um, as far as what the people felt in the seats, I think it was amazing because every weekend they came in and it was just something different and it felt different. The songs were different. Um, you know, the push was different. There was a different um, kind of message, all of that. So that was cool, but um, it ended up being uh, pretty intense. So I think I'm still in quite a bit of recovery mode this week. So a couple of things, because uh, because we were trying to be so encouraging in the last episode and telling people, you know, you can get through this and make it about, What's, what it's really about, and it is about the hands raised, and it is about people taking a step in their faith and all that. That sounds really good when you say it, and obviously when we said it at the time, we thought, man, that was a really encouraging word. But you get to the end of it, and Stone, you're coming out of it feeling kind of down and beat down, and you've got another set change next week, and 2018's coming next week, and here we go again. So what do we say to the guys who are maybe coming out of this season going, yeah, it was great, but like there's this personal just kind of pressure and you feel like you've been in a pressure cooker and 
This week is nice to have a little bit of a break, but it's not as much of a break as you need. It's not enough. You come out of it maybe a little, I don't know, disoriented at best, but maybe disappointed or mad at worst. You know, what do you say to those guys who are coming out of it going, yeah, it was good, and yeah, I get, I get that this was worth it and all that, but man, it still kind of sucks. That, that has been, we've all felt that. We've all been in that martyr mode. Like, does anyone know how tough this was for us? I mean, nobody brought us any sweets to give us the Christmas cheer while we're working so hard. <laughs> the parking lot was empty when we left and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, um, just sitting here thinking about it, uh, I, I read a, a blog a week or two ago by Kerry Newhoff, and he was just, um, who some of his blogs are, are, are pretty cool. And he was recapping um, some things, some some common misnomers about Christmas. And one was that your church grows exponentially during Christmas because you, you leave, you know, it's so deceiving how many people attend and that you think that it's going to increase your, your church a lot. Um, and I used to think that too. We all did. Um, straight from the top at our church. And we've kind of gradually had to get real about some of that. But I will tell you this. I was sitting there after one of the weekends, not not this past one, but like the middle weekend. And they had told me, or they had said a number to some of us. We were kind of recapping the service and trying to figure out some changes for the next day. And I don't remember the number, but they told us the number of people who had not accepted Christ, but had decided to make our church, their home. And the people that had turned in a card, you know, you, you do the card thing. And, and I kind of in one of those that doesn't really want to have, I would never fill out a card with my information on it. Cause I just would don't care. These people are first time people. They haven't attended a church before and they left plugged in with people that actually cared for, for them. Mm. Their kids are going to be plugged into, you know, world-class kids ministry. They're, going to be involved in a place that puts a lot of um, effort into Bible study, small groups, you know, one-on-one discipleship. That's really the focus of our church these days. I leave with that going, that's life change. That's life change. That is the people that raise their hand, whether that's for salvation or whether that's to, because they, they feel the need to be in a immersed in a, in a place that has God going on and has life going on. That's cool to me. Yeah, And when you sit there and do all this stuff and focus on the things that we missed out on, we as in the production guys, the guys in the back, it feels a little selfish. It feels a lot selfish to go, yeah, but what about me? You know what? Somewhere I signed on for this and I don't recall anyone ever holding a gun to my head to say, <laughs> you go do this. It was a thing of going, what's the payoff? So what is the payoff? Are we here to get wealthy? Well, we I made hope a not. bad, bad move if that was the case. Oh, shoot. <laughs> You've messed up, Lee. Thank God for but, Bitcoin. I, yeah. The, <laughs> having all the uh, church computers mine Bitcoin all week is great. Services, it's perfect. <laughs> but you know, when you get down to that and go, that is a result that's tangible. Because those people are going to respond and, and come back. Yeah. And begin to have life change and begin to have things happen in their life that they wouldn't get otherwise. That to me is cool. And it's hard to sit here and you you have to break out of your selfish mode and go, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I get it. But it really is. And so 
I guess that's what we try to make sure our teams hear. And Lee, I love hearing that, that you're making your crew guys go out and really see the result of their work. Because if not, it is just a bunch of work and why do it? Yeah. Right. Right. That's good. So Lee, what about on the personal side? Because we talked about putting relationships over the, the doing of the tasks and, uh, you know, I know there was some relational tension throughout the process on your end. So can you just sort of give people some yeah. insight into, okay, if there is that kind of tension or a blow up or a moment where it's like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, hey, he shouldn't have said that. I'm in the right. And yeah, get out of my face. If people are coming out of Christmas with that kind of stuff, how can we heal that? How can we grow from that? How can we move forward to, to make sure that we're relationally healthy? Yeah. So a quick story. So the day that the decision got made to do the move, you can imagine what that day is like. You're, you're in and out of meetings that feel like they're going too long because there's so much work to do. You're getting pushed for numbers. What's this going to cost? What's this going to cost? And the second you throw a number out, people are going to hold you to it, you know, and you're texting other people on the team. So they don't find out from an all staff email, just like all kinds of things just flying around. Well, in the middle of that, uh, Lincoln and I had a conversation, um, that evening and it did not go well. Like it was what I would consider, like, I thought it was a massive blow up. Like I thought on a scale of zero to 10, like we were in the red, like I hung up the phone with him just pissed. You had a, and just you had a fight to my stomach. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Well, it, I, well, let me say this. I thought it was a fight and I'll, I'll, you'll know the end of the story or you'll know what that means at the end of the story. So it's one of those that you hang up and you're like, what the heck, man? I hate this. Why am I doing this? I'm going to quit. Like how many times have you guys ever thought that about work? Like, Oh, never, So, never. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, so I'm just furious. I'm mad. I'm hurt. Like all, all the emotions are just running through me. Right. So I go home and it's kind of late and my wife's still awake and I'm telling her everything. And I'm like, this sucks. I want to quit. I can't believe I do this, blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me and says, if you don't walk over to his house right now and talk to him about this, I don't want to talk to you about it. (laughs) And I was like, what? Like he lives close to me. So she was like, you need to go over there right now or we're not having this discussion. And I was like, Oh, Holy crap. Like I was, I was wanting her to throw some fuel on my fire. Right? Like, come on. So, um, I didn't do that that night it was late and it wouldn't have been good. I wouldn't have responded well. So I took a day to think about it and the whole conversation just replay the whole thing in my mind. And I realized a couple of things I knew were true. There's a Brene Brown, uh, the series of book that she's written about vulnerability and empathy and about how, when we get into conflict, imagine we're in a car and conflict is like the car. We put emotions in the front seat beside us but logic and truth are like tied up and handkerchiefed and roped in the trunk. And so our emotions get the first response, but logic and truth, like you have to go unlock them out of the trunk to have a conversation with them during conflict. That's just what happens. So it's something I've been working on. So if I take that and apply it to this, here's what I knew was true. Lincoln is a really close friend. He really cares about me. He's given me encouragement and accolades publicly, worked with a guy for a really long time. He's a godly man, great husband, great father. 
Like those are the things I know are true. If you say those things and then I put how I felt beside that, it didn't match up. Right. Mm, So when I, when I call him and say, Hey, we need to have a conversation. And he's like, Oh, okay. And I go, can I come up to your house? And he's like, Oh, is it serious? And I was like, well, based on the conversation we had last night, don't you think it's serious? And he's like, well, I mean, I guess. And then right then I knew, I knew like something was off. Right. So I just tell him about what, what had happened. Basically told him, I even told him what my wife said. And he's like, I love your wife. So, but basically here's, here's what it was in me because of the pressures I was feeling to pull this thing off. Technically I took our conversation as a 10. It was like a three to him. Wow. Wow. Okay. It was but it was the way I, it was the lens I had on the conversation. And the crazy part is if I had never said anything to him a month later today, I could still be wanting to quit my job. It's the craziest thing, right? You'd be, you'd still so be stewing he, and you'd still be churning it all up and replaying it all in your mind. And he'd forgotten all about it probably by now. Exactly. He equated it to uh, a, a fight, quote unquote, he and I had about Chance the Rapper. Okay. Let me follow me here. <laughs> I'm telling him about, this is like six months ago, maybe a year ago. I'm telling him about this guy. I'm like, Chance Rapper, yeah, he's really great. I really like this album. So he goes and listens to it, and he's like, he doesn't like it. He's just not a fan. But we get into this healthy, like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, this guy's great. And he's like, no, he's not. He's like, jay Z is awesome. Like, listen to Jay-Z. Like, that's an iconic rapper. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure, he's iconic. But, is you know, we're basically talking about, like, Ford and shit. Right, right, right. right. Well, if I go back in my mind, the way we were talking to each other about Chance the Rapper was the exact same way we were talking about what we were talking about that night on the phone. I was just taking it really, really personal. It was on me. It wasn't on him. Mm. So, but because we had that conversation, it was like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if I had spent three weeks, three months, three years with all that inside and never had had that conversation? So it would have tainted everything, everything everything every it could have ruined a friendship and a friendship that i hold really highly like this is just crazy so if you those guys that are sitting at home like mad about christmas or mad about something i feel like you have to get that stuff out you have to talk to someone about it so either to just say it out loud or to clear up misconceptions that you have with someone else or i mean my pastor doesn't appreciate me well if you went and sat down in his office and said hey this it feels like i'm not appreciated Maybe you're not, you'd find that out, but maybe you are and you had no idea. So I think really it's just having conversations. That's great. Well, especially when we're all sort of a part of a cohort that tends to be a bunch of nerdy introverts, that point is so huge because I think there are a lot of guys who are probably just going to internalize it all. And then you start churning it around and you start replaying the conversation, you hit rewind and you maybe hear it differently than what really happened or over time you continue to hear it more differently, you know, and especially if if the conflict has come over email or text, you got to have a conversation because you can't hear tone of voice. You can't see facial expression. These conversations have to happen face to face in person right away. You know, something. Uh, by the way, the, the big, the fight quote unquote we had was on the phone. Yeah. That's the worst. So I didn't know. I didn't know. It was just like we were two guys arguing about Ford and Chevy, like I said, but I took it completely differently. <laughs> you know, there's something that uh, that I heard Judd Wilhite say. He came and did an all-staff. He's come several times this last time he was with us. Um, 
he said something and I swear I caught the guy looking at me. I know he wasn't, but I just, it was just one of those. He was Basically talking reading and I was your like, mail. Yeah. You freaking jerk. What, <laughs> what Adam tell you? What, what's up? And he said, he just said, uh, anybody involved in ministry needs to know that it's ugly and it's chaotic and it's rough around the edges and it's never going to be right. And you're going to feel mistreated. And the first thing that Satan's going to do is make you feel like you're the only one that's ever felt this and you're going to leave pissed. And I mean, just all of these, he just, everything was applied to a production guy, but it also applied to the maintenance guys and it applied to the people at the front desk and it applied to everybody. And the more I thought about what he said over the, the next few days, I was just like, you know, he's really right. You go to central in Las Vegas, they capitalize on that chaos. They have to, they're, 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 you know, changing things on a dime. They're, they're trying to figure out how to do church on a huge scale in a crazy city and all that stuff. It changed everything. It changed the way I looked at what we did. I was like, you know what? It isn't going to be right. It applies. Now you get done with Christmas and go, it's not going to be perfect. But the last time I checked Christmas was supposed to be about giving. I mean, what the, the precious gift we got was that we were given Jesus on earth and, and how that changed everything. And it gave us, you know, it, it culminated in taking away all of our sins where we could live, you know, eternally after this life's over, all of that gets missed when you have those conversations like Lee talked about on the phone, everything's a misconception. Everything's confused. How many of us have realized doing what we do in Christian circles and in church, is it ever been not messy? Has it ever been not chaotic? Have you ever not had the opportunity to feel miffed or how come I'm working and all the people that created all the work are off at home. I mean, think about that. Like right. all the, all the creative team, like they created all this stuff and we're out here trying to figure out how to make it work and it's chaotic and it sucks, man. I love what you said about clear it up, talk it out, make sure people know. I know the times that I've mentioned that to, to people around, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know that it was like that. They didn't feel that way. All of a sudden, you walk away with friendships that you didn't know you had, and it makes things so much better. I don't know if it gives you like tons of extra rest or anything, because I'll bet you, Lee, you didn't get a lot of rest during all that, but what you did come out on the other side is something far, far more tangible, and that's the stuff I try to remind myself of. Even this week of going, yeah, I wasn't super happy with the month, but I go, honestly, who is going to remember my part of what the month was my part. I would like to look at my part of the month as being part of all those people that joined uh, our community and maybe all the people that accepted Christ for the first time. Or how about the ones that went and got baptized and really sealed the deal? I mean, at Christmas on, you know, on their faith and all that, that's stuff that is tangible and makes the chaos and the crap and the, and all that stuff worth it. So I love yeah, I love hearing that. Uh, I love hearing your your take on that because we are the first ones to talk about um, don't wear your feelings on your sleeve and all that. Right. And I'm the first one to be like ultra sensitive about that stuff when it's about yeah. my world. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Okay, guys. So as you wrap up your 2017, let's just use that as a reminder that if there is any relational stuff, any junk that's left over from the Christmas season and all your prep and your execution and all the chaos of Christmas, 
let's get our heads around how can we fix things relationally that need to be fixed? How can we encourage each other as we move into 2018? And how can we take what happened at Christmas and just leverage that for the kingdom in such a way that our our people in our churches feel energized and ready for next year? You know, by looking at us, they see a team that's for each other, that loves each other, and that's ready to move on to what God has next for us all. So speaking of what's next for us all, we've got to talk about 2018 and our upcoming MixU events, because you guys are not going to want to miss MixU 2018. Stone, why don't you tell us what's coming up in January? Man, January, we are excited. For real, this is the first time uh, we're going to take MixU out of the country, which is exciting for all of us. In fact, I think the next time we three are in the same room, we'll be in Europe somewhere. So that's cool. Uh, we're going, but we're to, going Sweden. to Sweden, man. The guys in Sweden, the Swedish gurus of tech um, team up there are bringing us in to do a, a full mix you in the Stockholm area uh, in January. In 20th. January, by the way, not in the summer yeah. in Sweden, but January. in January. We won't see now, the light of day for about five days. At all. <laughs> What's cool, though, uh, so I'm, I'm in snowless Tulsa right now, and they – they did tell me just a few days ago it was not there was no snow in Stockholm either. So I would at least think that we'll get some snow by January. I mean, if I we're going to so. go all that way, we need right. to see the Great need White to see North. A bit. You know, yeah. So that's going to be awesome. We are really excited about that. The team there and the guys there, we can't wait to pour into them. That's going to yeah. be awesome. So if any of you are listening and you have connections with people in Europe, Northern Europe, check out the website for details and date yeah. and the date. It's, it's Saturday the twentieth. Of January. 20th. And there's going to be all, this is not just a mix you, but they're doing, they're taking the advantage of us having this gathering with all these techs. There's going to be some gear exhibition uh, on hand, some different stuff being shown off. It, it's really going to be a, a cool day that you don't want to miss. So if you know anybody, or if you're in the area, uh, you really ought to just jump on our website, um, www.mixu.com rocks mxu.rocks and then just a few uh, days later we're going to be four days later yeah. on the other side of the planet speaking of routing <laughs> yeah no kidding we used uh, jeff's booking agent there for that so we'll land in uh, los angeles area and be down at saddleback on january 24th so that's the day before nam so anybody that has plans to go to nam man jump in a day early and and grab a ticket to mix you. This is our, what is this, Jeff? Our third time to do mix you in Southern California. And man, if you're a church guy who's never been to Nam, use mix you as an excuse to stay for a day or two and yeah. check out the Nam show because there really are a lot of great. All the manufacturers are there. There's some great booths. There's great demos. You can get a lot of your questions answered on the music side as well as professional audio. Um, so it's a great opportunity for you to bring more people from your team. You could bring your worship leader and your tech director or your audio director, and you guys will have a great conversation at MixU, and then you can go to NAM and have a great conference experience there. So that's the it's 24th. almost as if we put some, that's the 24th. It's almost as if we put some strategery on, uh, on that. How about that? To, to, yeah, how about that? And let me tell you, if you've been to a MixU before, we are aware of that, and we, we've got some cool stuff happening for this year of, of the MixUs that are going to be considerably different from what we've done before. And we've got some content that we have been very, it's been very difficult to hold on to and not spill the beans on of some stuff that we're going to talk to talk about and get into on these days. Um, if you've been to one 
and you think, well, what more could I possibly get? Oh, don't be deceived. You, uh, you need to come in and, and check this out. We are still committed to making this uh, a day that we would like to attend. And I mean, that's our whole thing. We get done with each day and we look at each other and go, is that something you would have attended? Thumbs up all the way around. So we go do another one. That's so, it. man, we want this to be something effective and something you can take away and give yourself some uh, ammo for what you're doing, you know, with your mix in the church. So do come. Those are both uh, January 20th in Stockholm, January 24th in, at Saddleback in Southern Cal. Well, coming up next, we have part two of our interview with Brad Maddox. A lot of you emailed and texted us to say how much you loved hearing from him last time. So we can't wait to share the next part of our conversation with you now. Mix You Interview, Brad Maddox, part two. It was the night after Christmas loadout, and all through front of house, not a crew member was mixing, not even an intern mouse. The PA was hung by the downstage with care, in hopes that Mr. Maddox would soon be there. Oh, forget it. Let's get to it. There's a blog I put out a few years ago about how I had started changing the way we mic our strings at mm. Church on the Move. Mm. Um, we use live strings all the time and just go through the normal suck of trying to get the strings mm. nice and mic'd and do we use pickups? Do we, what do we do? How do we do this on a rock stage and all this? So I basically uh, stole the way I do everything now uh, from Brad. I'd never met him, never spoken to him, but I <laughs> found enough information from because I saw Rush doing this, and they had a six- or eight-piece string section about five, six feet from this massive drum kit we're talking about. And I'm sitting there very disappointed in the concert going, I can't believe these guys are faking it. They rush just doesn't do that. I mean, they, I mean, they've got pedals all over the place. These guys are, you know, known for doing this authentic. So I see this. And as the show goes on, I actually move to a different part of the arena where I can get closer to the strings. And I'm sitting there going, what the crap? It's not faked. It's real. There's not, I don't see any mics, but I can watch what they're playing. And I mean, I'm either like, they're the, they're the coolest magicians ever, or, or they're, you know, Satan, you know, whichever way they're doing this. And uh, so anyway, I find some information, found out the way Brad did it, totally ripped him off, stole it. I think I, pu- uh, I, think I published it <laughs> like it was keeping you know, a secret. Some art- there were some articles from radio or something, and they yeah. interviewed yeah. using their, their uh, the, P's, uh, the, PZD, the PZDI. Because yeah. so we... Um, I, I was telling you guys earlier the story about how uh, we had fully intended to kind of fake it, or at least half fake it, but uh, David Campbell wrote a bunch of parts that weren't original or on the record. <laughs> so he, like they embellished the parts so much that we couldn't use any recorded material because we didn't have any. Um, so it was mandatory that we made the, the strings sound great and like you you mentioned they were right behind the drummer so it wasn't going to be you know eight dpa mics uh as much as i'd love to use dpa mics on them but that they uh so we had to use pickups and um there was uh, we kind of threw it to the players a little bit we had a few options that we'd worked on in rehearsals we had a string player come into rehearsals and, and we played with some things 
the best option was a bridge pickup. Um, but that means telling the guy that he has to change his bridge. Um, that's fun. Right. And the second best option was, uh, a, a contact pickup that went in the bridge, uh, like kind of a spring fitting that went in the bridge and then, uh, clipped to the clip to the, the violin or, or uh, cello or what have you. And, um, the violinists all were basically like, yeah, we'll change, we'll get it. Well, one of them had a bag end bridge pickup, I think. And uh, so they basically were like, fine. So that was a relief because that, that was what I was really worried about. And the uh, one of the cellists turned me on to a thing I'd never heard of, which is the Mighty Mini. Are you guys familiar with this? The, I am now. No. Okay, so this is a fun little tool. They're they're not expensive. They're like a hundred bucks or something, eighty or hundred bucks. And they, um, it's like a piece of leather about three or four inches long, and it's got a pickup in the leather, and it weaves in between the strings below the below the uh, bridge. So it's just behind the bridge. It's super easy to install. It c- comes in and out very very easily, and it. Um, I would say it sounds decent. It's like uh, any one of these things requires some work, right? I mean, they don't just like yeah. sound amazing out of the box, but uh, it was pretty good. It was like surprisingly good, actually. I would I would recommend it as a real quick fix. And then also we went into uh, these PZDIs. The main problem using, I think a lot of people experienced using pickups on strings is that they go into, um, you know, they plug the pickup into whatever DI they have uh, or preamp they have and out the output impedance of a pickup of those pickups is very very high extremely high um, and not anything not just anything will work uh, I so countrymen's happen to be I, I want to say they're 10 million ohms or nearly 10 million ohms or something like that crazy like that and uh, the input impedance of a, of a countryman happens to be very high and the PZDI is switchable, um, and Peter Peter Janis at uh, Radio was kind enough to send us a few to play with, and and they work great. So we use those. Um, we also didn't want to I didn't want to give something. There's preamps available that also will do this trick, but I didn't want to put something with a bunch of knobs next to the player. Like I didn't want them to have to. Mm-hmm. Like if they wanted something, I wanted them to ask the engineer to do it for them. As opposed to you know turning the mid range down or I mean you know so I didn't want to give them anything to think about you know basically if you're having a problem just talk to Brent and he'll he'll give you whatever you need and uh, so the PZDI wound up being the winner I think the Countrymen's are also probably would work uh, and then maybe maybe okay, five other me, things out there I got twenty players coming for Christmas tell me about the DI again what's the what is it uh, the Mighty Mini is that the thing that's so. Uh, it's um, made in uh, New England somewhere. I'm, I forget where. Maybe upstate New York. Uh, but it's literally a four-inch four inch long piece of leather, excuse me, with a, with a cable coming out of it. Um, that's, and that's the pickup, and then you put it through. Uh, it's got a quarter-inch quarter quarter output on the end of it, quarter-inch uh, jack on the end of it, and you, yeah, it I goes. No, until I stole all this info, um, Without him knowing it, I didn't know there was a PZDI, and and I didn't even. I mean, I'm stupid, so I didn't know if there's like <laughs> five billion 
ohms of impedance on these things. He's right. <laughs> like it is. I don't even know what impedance is. <laughs> just something that smart people say to feel smart i guess well so like you want you want um so mike's my any given microphone tends to be low impedance and they're like 300 ohms and you want to plug it into something higher impedance basically so you're not loading it down and this i think the thing people experience a lot when they have a a um they stick a pickup on a mandolin or a, a, a violin or whatever the output impedance of that pickup is very 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 high if you just plug it into a console which will be significantly lower it's gonna load it down and what you will hear is thin no low end uh probably no not a lot of high end either and those are indications that you've got an impedance mismatch and you know it's stuff we don't think about because we don't have to think about it modern equipment is all matched up yeah. uh more or less until you do this. It's why uh, Fishman sells a you know a preamp to go along with their with their pickups. Um, so you know it's the kind of thing you don't really pay attention to ninety nine percent of the time until your boss tells you they're we're hiring a string section. <laughs> yeah, that is so well, helpful. Man. What's crazy is how many times we've all messed with with the pickups on string instruments and tried to fix it with EQ. Well, and, and you like, and you do what you have to do, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I that's what I was used to, and so you you go through this magic di, and all of a sudden it's like, what the heck? This sounds much. I mean, you're right. You have to fiddle with it, but it sounds yeah much closer. Yeah. I I think you will at least you will avoid that. You will still have to eq it. It's been my experience, but you at least yes. avoid that. Uh, why is there no low end on this thing? Right. Why is it so Which, thin? Yeah. yeah. Right. Lee, I've had that with I've had that with cello. Yeah. Being the the most prime example because you you listen to a cello acoustically and you think God, there's this richness and this mm -hmm. body and this mm -hmm. kind of thick, just lovely sound, and then you turn up the fader on the console and it's like, well, where did all of that go? And I never thought about it until right now. It's like, well, that's where it went. I need to get a different DI. It's a good. There's a that's good chance cool. it's, it's the impedance is not mismatched. You guys were talking a, 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 another podcast, another one of these podcasts about like how these, like you look at the old pictures of Abbey Road. The the engineers there literally wore lab coats, right? Like yeah. this was yeah. science. Scientists. Yeah. You you were like an electrical engineer. Um, you know you. These were things you had to think about all the time, not you know, just not just when you encountered some problem with your string sound or your mandolin sound, right? Uh, you know, thank, thankfully we don't we don't have to pay attention to this stuff all the time. It's good. It's a good thing because all these things have been sorted. But you you uh, you know you forget, right? I mean, you just it's not in your mind. So you you do you you know wow this sounds really bad. You might move it around. You might move it around. But I would say there's a good chance if you're hearing that. No low end and also no real good high end. You're probably plugging a 10 million ohm uh, pickup into a 10,000 ohm preamp. That's right. Well, I didn't forget that. I just now learned it right here. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. You're welcome. I'll tell you sir. something too about those pickups. Um, you know, when you're sitting next, standing next to a string player who has this massive amount of dollars invested in their instrument mm. and you start talking about hey 
here's the clamp I'm going to clamp onto the side of this thing or whatever. Right. You show to your Stradivarius violin. Correct. So this actually happened to me. This actually happened to me. I did a show. Really? Yeah. So I did for a few years, I did a uh, music cares does a, a, a gala every year and they, uh, Tony Bennett played and I had those, you know, the DPAs. I mean, it's just a little clip, right? And, um, he had it was Tony Bennett was singing and he had a piano accompanying him and he had two string players and these two string players showed up with three quarter of a million dollar violins wow. and I mean I'm thinking okay well this will be okay right I mean I'll just it's just a little clip right oh no Dude. you're not going near this thing like they looked at me like I had yeah. three heads I wound up getting <laughs> it looked ridiculous but I wound up getting like these two big boom stands and pulling it like over, like as close as I could get with a like, little, you know, forty ninety nine hanging on the end of it. Like, it looked preposterous. Players, I did that exact thing. I took the, the, the EPA now makes one with a little clip on it. Yeah. Just for that reason. Yes. Like it's a, yes. So I literally clipped it at the end of the mic stand yeah. and over the back of them. And I was like, this is just gonna By the way, has any of you guys played with their with their uh that the drum version of that 4099? Uh yeah. It's pretty yeah, good. That, that mic element uh has the devil in it because everything you put it on <laughs> it's it, it was like I put it on there and I was and I mean it was another one I was like I've spent like I spent days getting these drum mics in the right place and, and making them sound good and I put the DPA on it and I was like, oh like, like, just, <laughs> it should have just started here. They sound really good, those things. Okay, yeah, wait, back I mean, up to the violins. Was one of those guys by the by chance Joshua Abel? I know who that is, but I no, it was it was, it was two women actually, so I can tell you for sure it was. I, I couldn't tell you who they were. That would have been funny. Yeah. We we used Joshua Abel and the story about the uh Huberman Stradivarius, the, the four million dollar one. Yeah. We used that at our so that would have been hilarious about yeah, the same guy. What a great tie-in. <laughs> yeah. That's well, cool. the, the string thing, I guess this is appropriate. Uh, I'm talking about it before everybody does Christmas shows, but uh, oh, yeah. you're, no one will be able to find a PZDI to save their life. Well, if you have if you have a countryman, I think those also are like really high input impedance. So if you're in a, I love the PZDI. It's good for a lot of that kind of stuff, but uh, countrymen yeah. also. Well, we'll post a, uh, we'll post a link to, that blog just because it's got sure. a lot of this information yeah yeah so great if it helps anybody out we'll we'll throw that on our site great okay i gotta go back to rush Ooh. i got another okay question. okay so when you, you <laughs> sorry come on <laughs> i know well okay. okay so was it analog when you started and was it one console or two so when i the first so in 1990 i you might hear my dog barking here in a minute so my wife is just coming home uh, in 1990, I started touring. I was, you're not talking about your wife. You're talking about your dog. No, my dog. Will, my wife is coming in, so my dog will come running down the stairs barking. He's a just clarifying. He's a he's a he's a coon hound, so he's got a major major voice. Uh, so don't don't let it scare you. Uh, so so I started in 1990 on the Presto tour. Uh, Robert Scovel was mixing. And I was like the fifth man of the four-man sound crew. Ted Leamy was the crew chief. Um, <laughs> like, I think Bill Chrysler was on the tour. I, I was like, uh, I was really just getting going touring, like, at, at that level. What uh, was your job on the tour? Um, I, I was literally flying PA. And 
And um, the uh, I also uh, I did wind up mixing the opening act, which was Mr. Big, which is how I sort of how that was a stepping stone for me. That that was a big stepping stone on that tour. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, by the way, I paid very close attention to everything Robert was doing, and probably half my bag of tricks comes from the stuff he was doing on that tour. Um, the uh, um, I'm so where was uh, I? I lost my train of thought. Um, consoles, consoles. Oh, so it was two, uh, two EX fifty sixes. I think we had at that, that, that point, and then wow. at some point later on, uh, I came back to f- to finish uh, roll the bones for him. He was leaving to go do. I had started uh, Def Leppard's Adrenalized tour um, in Europe, and then he. Uh, I came in to finish Rush. I did like the last six weeks of a Rush tour of um, Roll the Bones, yeah. And then uh, that point, that was two Midas XL4s, I think. So you just walked into his console rig and just had to keep going. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Two XL4s. Yeah. No big deal. Whatever. (laughs) Did all the time. Uh, so speaking of, speaking of consoles, though, one one thing that you mentioned earlier was just receiving stuff from guys from different consoles, and how you know a lot of people get caught up in their console stuff being the only thing that's right. And can you mm. just talk for a second about that mm. as a when you're receiving the broadcast mm. of those consoles, just how much of a difference it does or doesn't make. Well, I think the uh, I so the console is a, a tool, obviously, and and it may be the most important tool. Uh, as say, you know, we have mics, we have uh, the, the the speakers and the amps that we like, and the consoles we like. And I, I think that my point was basically so I'd done this show where I was a production mixer. So my job was it was it was a giant uh, corporate show where the president of the company would come out and talk and then he would introduce the next band and they would come out and play. So it was four bands, all of which were major, major touring acts. Uh, I'm sworn to secrecy, but there was like, you, you would know all of them. Right. And, um, each engineer for each band had come in with a different console package, their own console package. And there was, um, one of the engineers had a Yamaha PM 5,000, there was a, uh, a profile. There was an SSL. I forget which version of it, but uh, and then there was a uh, uh, Digico. And so one band would play, and I would turn up the mic, and then another band would play, and I would turn up the mic. That was the scenario. It was a big uh, in a uh, pack uh, uh, AT&T park here in uh, in San Francisco, and um, I just remember th- coming away thinking, watching these four guys, totally different techniques, totally different. Uh, each one of which would tell you this was this console was the best console at the time anyway. So uh, I just remember thinking, you know, these bands all sound good. I mean, all of these things sound really good. There was no, you know, there was no letdown when one band came out. Was, at no point was I thinking, ooh, I don't know, that thing sounds doesn't sound as good as you know the last band. I thought. Um, you know, it's it, it's more about the guy, right? And this is a tool that is he gets around on. He knows that he can make work for him, 
and uh, he's got he's spinning all the right knobs. Um, so I don't know if it, it would have been interesting, you know, sort of a in another universe, to take those four guys and shuffle them around and see how they got along on on the other desk. But um, you know, there was I think that sometimes we think, well, this is the best piece of gear, but it's really just the piece of gear we really know how to make work and we're really comfortable with. Yeah, um, that's good. You know, and the truth is, in the end, you're going to do. I mean, I, I've mixed major bands on on a 12 channel Mackie because that's what that's what we had to do. You know, and you you right. do the best you can with it. And I think that everybody finds their their tools that they they know how to use. And it's uh, uh, all four of those bands sounded great. All four of those consoles sounded great. Yeah, and there was no way that you, as the listener, could do the Pepsi challenge and go, oh, that's the Abbott, that's the Digico, that's the SSL. It's like, and even if you could, it wouldn't have mattered. And by the way, no, nobody in the audience cared. It's the other thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the biggest part, right? Yeah. It is a tool. It's a, it's a tool like everything else, and it's, it's preference, right? I'm sure we all have a preference of what yeah. we like to use all the time, but it doesn't always work out that way. Well, and, um, and you... Um, so I don't know. What do you got? So I, so somebody there is it, Andrew, do you have the SSL? Is that your, is it your thing? Yeah. So, and we, you know, and I think we hit this one time before we made, we made the decision to move to that platform at church on the move. Right. Um, it wasn't a, uh, and, and I love SSL, but it wasn't, Oh wow. Let's go find the best sounding digital console. I was a Midas analog guy. Right, right. Of course. We found one that had a workflow for me not being the smart guy in the digital world that I could get around on and right. understand. Right. Like, I mean, really, that's that's really what it was. And But it, I think all of us have different reasons why we did that. Lee, Lee, you've got, you're using all the Yamaha. Right, I saw that picture, stuff, yeah. But it's... But it's some of the decisions you've made at, for having, you know, five million campuses and you're trying to, you know, get unity right. across campuses for any operator anywhere. But a lot of people bend that and construe that into you automatically, uh, well, you're only able to do that because you're on such a great console or, or a certain piece of gear. Mm. It's just a tool. You can't tell me that a house built with this one brand of hammer is better or different than another house build right. a different brand of hammer. You know? Jeff, uh, Jeff, what do you use? I think for a lot of our listeners, well, I've, I've been back and forth between, you know, we started when we first made the move to digital consoles, it was Avid with mm -hmm. profiles and then to Digico. And now, you know, I'm really kind of enamored with the Waves LV1 stuff, which is mm -hmm. a totally different mm -hmm. way of working. So but I think for a lot of our listeners, you know, especially these guys who get caught up in Facebook forums and, you know, gear magazines and all this stuff, it's it's really easy, if, especially for those of us who love gear and love the idea of new gear, to kind of get caught up in this sort of romanticized picture of, well, gosh, if I only had XYZ console, my mix would just be that much better. And, you know, that may be true to a point, but I I think it's so helpful for us to hear that you know, these tools are relatively neutral to our skill, and I think if we can get if we can get the idea of you know the the operator and what we do to make the sound happen is mm. way more important than the sound of the tool itself. I think it's it's a really good reminder. 
Yeah. Well, it's, and it's that, I mean, it's how you operate. It's how it works for you. Like how, uh, how it's laid out, how you, and a lot of it's just how, what's your mind like? What is your workflow like? And how do you get from one place to another on a console? Can you do it quickly? Can you get the job done? Um, I mean, I've toured with analog consoles as well. And I mean, you would you would think that every knob on the, that you need is on is there, right? All you have to do is reach over and touch it. But I'm in a place now where I get around quick more quickly on a digital console, when where there's only you know only the knobs for whatever you have up in front of you. Um, yeah, well, it I was, think your point about workflow is so important because there are digital consoles. For me, when I stand in front of it, I feel like I'm always one knob away from more or one button away from where I need to be. And it's just because of the way my brain works relative to the workflow of the desk. Mm. Whereas there are others where I step up to it and I go, oh yeah, this is totally intuitive. I get this. This works. Let's go. Right. So, I, and I've had that experience on digital desks as well, uh, where I'm, why am I never in the right place when I need to yeah. be there? But, okay. and I see other people use them and they just, they're just flying. Right. So I, you know, who knows? All uh, just to me, the, the the good news is the bottom line was I saw four guys operate four different desks and they all sounded great. So it wasn't like none of them was a hindrance. None of them was like uh, uh, holding anybody back from making a good sounding show. That's cool. You know, that, some of the that's some of the reasoning why we've why we've put a, put together our live events the way we have, right. uh, and and part of the reason why the three of us when we first started entertaining the idea of you know doing this next you thing hmm. we we're like let's hear how we're each arriving at our end you know at what our output is hmm. from coming from three different workflows hmm. three different consoles hmm. three different sets of microphone choices three different yeah it, so- it sounds like it's a, a yeah, yeah it sounds like it's a real exercise in exactly that and exactly like right. you know there's there's more than one way to skin this cat and you know, really the bottom line is to find out the best the best thing that works for you. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for joining us for our final Mix You podcast episode of 2017. We hope you have an amazing new year and that the end of your 2017 only makes for a better 2018. We'll see you next month at one of our upcoming events, Sweden on January 20th, Anaheim, January 24th. Check out mxu.rocks for all the details. Meanwhile, share, like, rate the podcast. We can't wait to see you next time.